0: Our loving Father, thank you so much that you do speak to us and that we have at this Christmas a clear message from the one who created us. And we pray that you'd speak to us tonight, uh, today and help us uh, as we serve you today and tonight and for the rest of this Christmas time and this year that we might bring you great glory as we understand what it really means to follow Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this Christmas, Australia is divided. And the division amongst us seems to relate to one man. Uh, This man has a reputation for following God. This man has travelled a long distance under controversial circumstances. And this man is known for opinions about the world that have made friends and enemies. You might think that I'm talking about Jesus, but I'm actually talking about ScoMo. (laughs) Uh, Scott Morrison's found himself in the unfortunate situation where he is now feeling the anger of many Australians uh, whom he represents as their Prime Minister. I mean, if you didn't know anything better, you'd think that ScoMo was running around the bush with a cigarette lighter. (laughs) Uh, His choice to have a holiday with his wife and kids has made him the victim of much media fury, especially social media, no surprise. Uh, But people are divided about ScoMo. You know, some people think that the fires are, are not from man made global warming. Some people think that the religious discrimination bill is good policy. Some people think that RFS firefighters shouldn't be paid for volunteering. There are lots of things that divide us this Christmas, not just SCOMO. And so, as a nation, we are divided this Christmas. And so, now more than ever, we need a leader to follow in unity. All of us, in one accord. We need a leader we can respect and serve as one Australia. And wouldn't it be great if that leader was Jesus? As we come together on Christmas Day, you'd think this would be a great goal to share, wouldn't you? You'd think Jesus is the man who would be ideal for us to rally behind because he spent his entire life serving others. He lived a life that was worthy of great respect and he died a death that was a gift to all. Surely Jesus can unite us in this time of division. Well, as we turn today to the Bible, to Luke 2, 22-40, we'll see that Jesus is actually not the man who will unite all people. And that is because Jesus brings division, not unity. He is a leader who sadly will bring division, not unity, to the people. And we'll see this before he even takes his first step or speaks his first word. And the action begins when he's only a few weeks old. Verse 22, we read, Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy... He must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jesus is only about a month old. His parents, Mary and Joseph, travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they do that because they are Jewish. Uh, Mary and Joseph are very Jewish. And the Jewish faith had special rituals that happened after a child was born. You probably picked them up just there. Uh, The woman needed to offer a special sacrifice because of the the rules about bodily fluids. Uh, But more than that, uh, the parents needed to offer a special sacrifice after the birth of their first son. And so they go to the temple with baby Jesus to do this special Old Testament ritual to dedicate their firstborn son. Interestingly, uh, the rules about what to sacrifice Changed according to the wealth of the parents. Interesting, isn't it? If they were wealthy, they'd offer a lamb. And if they were not wealthy, if they were poor or or medium, then they'd only offer two little birds. Mary and Joseph didn't offer a lamb, did they? They offered two little birds, which reminds us that they were not well off financially. And so Jesus was born in a humble family, a poor home. Anyway, as Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus into the temple courts in Jerusalem, they meet the first of two very interesting people that we're going to meet today. They meet two devout Jews. Mary and Joseph meet two devout Jews. The man and the woman will actually, as we meet them, they will tell us some very interesting things about how important Jesus is and why his life is going to be so divisive. And so they meet the first guy. Verse 25a. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. This guy is a very, very committed man of God. Uh, The Bible describes him there as righteous and devout. But more, we see that he is waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. What is he waiting for? The Messiah. Who's the Messiah? You've probably heard of the word Messiah many times in church, but even in popular culture, the expression Messiah is used. Uh, The Messiah is used for someone who will dramatically save people. Uh, Sometimes political leaders are called messianic figures. Just to prove this, I, I did a little bit of Google searching. I put in the word Obama and Messiah, and then lots of hits came up there. I put in Trump and Messiah, lots and lots of hits there. I think he even said it himself. Um, and we also uh, we have our own Shire from the mes- Messiah from the Shire, ScoMo, as he's been called by some. Well, uh, none of those guys are the Messiah. Sorry to disappoint you. Uh, Well, I'm not going to disappoint you because we have a greater Messiah and he's coming in a moment. We'll see. But the point of all this is the Messiah is the King of Israel. That's what the Messiah means. It's it's the Hebrew word Messiah means anointed one. The Greek version is Christos, from which we get Christ. So Messiah and Christ, just the same words in different languages. And just basically stands for the anointed one, the one who is the king the king of God's people. And so Simeon is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the king. He's waiting for a Messiah who would be kind of like King David, who was the Messiah. He was the Christ. But he wasn't the greatest one. Great David's greatest son was to be the one who would be the greatest one. And so Simeon waited and waited and waited and finally, finally has some really good news. Verse 25b, the Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow, how exciting would it be to have the Holy Spirit say, guess what, you with your own eyes will see the coming Messiah. This guy must have just been absolutely out of his tree, excitement at this point. And so that means that it's very, very close to that time. And the news for Simeon got better and better. Verse 27. That day the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms. So Simeon's been waiting and waiting and waiting and then this young couple turns up to church, or well, to the temple, and they run up and they grab the baby out of the mum and dad's arms. Um, if you've got a newborn, you'll know just what it's like to walk up to the shopping centres and have random people come up and poke you and grab your baby and tickle it and do all sorts of things like that. Um, you may well have done it yourself or you've seen others do it, but this is what's happened right here. And I don't know if it's be- if you might think it was just because Jesus was particularly attractive as a little baby. Mm, no, it's because Simeon knows something. Very, very exciting because he knows that the greatest Christmas gift of all has come to him. And so, verse 29, we read, Simeon praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. I'm ready to go. As you promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He has got, that is the greatest moment of his entire life as he in his own arms holds the Messiah. Right there, Simeon speaks to God and he says, I'm ready to go. Take me home. Simeon has seen God's salvation. He's seen the salvation that is prepared, in fact, for all people. It was a turning point for Simeon, but a turning point for the world. Because the Messiah was not just for the Jews... Simeon realized that the salvation from the Messiah was prepared for all people. All people. And right here at this point, we see why Jesus is going to bring division. More will come, but he will bring division, not unity. Because quite frankly, a whole lot of them thought he was the Messiah just for the Jews. And Simeon already got it that the Messiah was for all people, and that was going to be controversial. In a sense, the people of Israel needed to share their Messiah with all the nations. Try and see a little kid on Christmas Day when they open up their gift for the first time, and other kids in the room want to play with it because it just turns out that the gift is a little bit better than the one they get. And so you say, well, share your gift with those others. It's like you're joking. This is Christmas Day. I've still got it. I've only put the batteries in. You want me to share this gift with anybody else? Simeon receives this gift. The Jews, the Israelites receive this gift, and they've got to share it with everyone. And that is because, as Simeon continues in his prayer, verse 32, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, And he's the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus is going to shine to the whole world. And as he does so, he'll bring glory to Israel. See, there's two groups there. There's all the world and then there's Israel. But because the jealous Jews back then, many of them, didn't want the kind of Messiah who would be a saviour for everyone, it was going to be controversial. Even though... It was going to be the thing that would bring them glory. Well, how do you think Mary and Joseph responded to the news? Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. I mean, they'd already had some angels pop in and say, hey, this guy's pretty special, and you know the rest of the Christmas story. But still they are blown away when they hear this revelation from Simeon about just how influential and significant and powerful and remarkable their baby would be, the baby that they hold in their arms. But Simeon, the devout religious guy, didn't stop there. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. The baby can't walk, the baby can't talk, the baby certainly can't toilet at this stage or feed himself, and yet already it is very clear that he will be controversial. Indeed, he will be the world's most controversial person. People have been having controversial Christmases for 2,000 years. And if Jesus doesn't come back in 2,000 years' time, they're not going to be talking about Trump. They're going to be talking about Jesus still every single Christmas. It won't be ScoMo that they'll be talking about in the year 3020. Hopefully Jesus is back by then. But the point of all this is that as he grows from a baby to a man, he'll cause some in Israel to fall and others to rise. They will stumble over him. It's a bit like when you're walking along and you get to a step and you didn't realise it was there, and you start to sort of do this funny little dance that happens when gravity and, and balance and you just sort of don't really line up. Uh, it is like Jesus is that step that, that causes some to stumble. But for others, it will be a great thing when he comes. Because they stumbled, because they didn't get the Messiah they expected. To be honest, if they happened to read the book of Isaiah, they might have realised that he perfectly ticks the boxes. But anyway, that's why there's this division. But some did realise that he's the Messiah, and that he is not only everything that was promised, but he's more. And so for them, they will... They will not trip out of the kingdom of God and they will rise, they will rise with Jesus and they will receive salvation with him. He's a sign from God and he will bring opposition. Uh, well, I remember when we had our kids, so uh, people would say lovely things about them. Oh, I wonder what he or she will do when they're older and all sorts of things like that. But I've got to say that if they said, Oh, She's a lovely little girl, isn't she? Oh, yes, yes. he, she, we, whatever. And then, oh, guess what? They're going to grow up and hundreds of millions of people throughout history will reject and hate your child. Well, oh, didn't see that coming. This is what has happened right here to Mary and Joseph. It's a hard pill to swallow. But the grief for Mary, the mother of Jesus, will not stop there. Verse thirty-five, Simeon says, "As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce will pierce your very soul. Mary's very soul will be pierced. This Jesus will reveal the deepest thoughts of many, who many people who will." In a sense, wear their hearts on their sleeves as they reveal what is really in their thoughts, but for Mary, it will really come home to her personally because a sword will pierce her very soul. What does that mean? Well, I've got a very thick book at home that helps me understand bits of Luke's Gospel, and the commentator, in his great wisdom, had 10 different options for what this means he recommends one and i think he's right and that is that he's saying that it in fact it is that mary's heart will be pierced because jesus's priorities will clash with mary's you kind of want to have happy families where everyone falls in line under the matriarch you know it's kind of that's what you would expect to happen <laughs> but it's not going to be the case with jesus he he is going to actually cause her some grief some great grief Uh, We we see it just in the same chapter, a little bit further on. That Jesus is twelve years old, and he goes missing from his parents. They're all merrily walking away from Nazareth from from I am sorry from Jerusalem up to Nazareth, and then they turn around and say, "Have you got Jesus?" No, I thought you had Jesus. Where is Jesus? Anyone got Jesus? I thought he was with his cousins. Anyone seen Jesus? No, haven't seen Jesus. Where is he? He's anyone nowhere, nothing. And they go back and they find him, and he's there in. Jerusalem. And it's three days before Mary and Joseph see their son, Jesus. And it's kind of like, hey, Mary, mum, you've got to get with the program. This is what I'm here for. But it divided her. And there were many other times too, when the family, that that unique, that special kind of bond of mum and dad and son was, was broken, was damaged, was controversial. But the greatest of all was when... Mary would experience her son being crucified. You wouldn't want that on your enemies. And yet, for a friend, yet for the one you gave birth to, her very heart was pierced. The roller coaster ride for Mary would have been very hard. Her son is the Messiah, and she's seen angels. It's like, how good is this? But he's also going to be one that will bring her great grief, and that will come. And ultimately, even though the salvation would come from the Messiah, it would not be without cost, because the cost of the Messiah's rescue was his life, his very life. But before Mary and Joseph could reflect too much more on this, they meet the second devout Jewish person. Verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshipping God with fasting and uh, she is very old. She's eighty-four years of age. Other translations say that she's been widowed for eighty-four years. Uh, well, she's that either eighty-four years or eighty-four plus the age. Or anyway, old, and she hasn't got remarried. She has devoted herself to praying to God, day and night, day and night in the temple. Every day you would have seen her there. The temple, the place where she met God was at the very core of her existence and she is elevated as a woman of great honor. A woman who herself, she was honoring God through the way that she worshiped there at the temple. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and what was she praying for? Well, she was praying constantly for the Messiah just like Simeon. She'd turn up to the temple and say, Lord, send us the Messiah. And she did that day after day after day after day. And then verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. You could imagine her just being absolutely out of her skin. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. She knew that all people needed rescuing. That's why she prayed day and night. And she'd been waiting expectantly. And then as she saw Simeon rejoicing, I take it that Simeon wasn't sort of doing a sort of a stiff after of a lip, sort of like, oh, I'm very pleased to see the Messiah. I reckon he was just going crazy, like, "Whoa!" and everyone's looking around, what's happening? And then immediately at that moment, Anna's like, really? Really? And she she runs over there with the greatest pace she possibly could have. I'm embellishing it a bit, but it's got to be a bit of this, surely, that she's just thrilled out of her brain. And she's there with the baby because she knows they need rescuing. And this is right in front of her. Super saviour to the rescue. Super saviour, mighty to save. Maybe they even sang, He's the death crusher, sin smasher, you know, whatever it is. It was very clear that He is the Savior. They needed saving, and here He was, the little baby Jesus, the one who would save the world. See, when you need saving, you're so excited to see a Savior. There are many stories from the past few weeks of people who needed saving from a devastating fire front. The sky grew dark. And read, and they knew that the terrifying fire was coming closer and closer. And then out of nowhere, a fire truck arrives, and before they know it, the firefighters have rolled out some hoses and putting out spot fires and undertaking property protection. And and then a chopper arrives and dumps a whole bucket of water on the right next to the roof. Uh, and they realize that they who needed saving have now got a saviour. This, it was very clear to Anna, was the very thing that everybody needed. Everybody needed a saviour, and here he was. The problem is that most people don't realise that they need saving. As long as they're safe from fire and flood and storms and earthquakes and a bunch of other things, they think they're not really at risk of danger. But the problem with most people is they don't realise that they're in serious spiritual danger. All of us by nature are born enemies with God. That's bad. All of us by nature have rejected the rule of God. That's really bad. And it means that all of us by nature are under the anger of God. And that's really, really, really bad. We all deserve punishment and we're going to hell by nature. It's a very serious problem. That is why Simeon and Anna were so excited to see Jesus because here is the super saviour that they've been waiting for. Jesus was born and the Messiah had arrived. And now Simeon was so overwhelmed that he has, he has experienced the greatest event of history. Well, actually, not quite the greatest event of history. I don't know when Simeon died, but around about 30 years later, There was a greater day for that Messiah, and that is at Easter, that first Easter, when we saw why the Messiah actually came. He came to live a perfect life, to die the death of a criminal, and take upon his shoulder the punishment that we deserved. And then he rose from the dead, showing the punishment was fixed, and God's anger has taken off our shoulders and placed on Jesus' It was a pretty exciting day for Simeon, but if he was alive at that first Easter, he would have had an even greater day as he saw the empty tomb. Wow. This is why it's such great news that Jesus was born, because a Saviour's born. But the thing that Australians need to hear this year is that you don't get saved by Jesus unless you follow him. It's always a buzz to see the Christmas carols being sung on TV, listened to by millions of people hearing about Jesus the Saviour. That's wonderful stuff. I think some people may not realise that the salvation is on offer, but you've got to actually take up the offer. When it says that Jesus died for all mankind, it's true, but we receive that salvation only when we say, please, please. And when we say sorry, the gift is free, it's on offer for everyone, but the challenge for us each Christmas is to think, how do we personalise it? If you're already a follower of Jesus, as I expect most of us in this room already are, you have personalised it. You've personally spoken to Jesus and you've personally said sorry and thank you, but many Aussies haven't. And that is why, to receive that gift, they've actually got to unwrap the present. And you do that by coming to Jesus and saying, I want to worship you as my king, and I'm sorry I haven't already. You see, the greatest gift is the coming of the Messiah. The salvation to all people who trust in Jesus. This Christmas, Aussies are divided. We're divided about whether or not Skomo should have gone to Hawaii. We're divided about whether that religious discrimination bill is good or not. And we're divided about whether fires are caused by carbon emissions. I mean, there's a whole lot of other things we're divided about. But I think most of all, we Aussies are divided about whether Jesus is the Messiah. Many Jews rejected Jesus because he didn't quite sort of meet their expectations of the Messiah. And many Aussies reject Jesus because they don't think they need saving. I'm right, mate. No worries, thanks. This Christmas, we need to remember afresh that we all need saving. And if you've come to Jesus already, you are saved. But if you haven't, you are in serious trouble. And as you have your lunches today and tomorrow and tonight and meet with others, bear that in mind, that the people you're spending time with May well be people who have not taken up that salvation yet. So we all need saving. And God has brought us to this church today on Christmas Day so that we will hear this catastrophic warning. See, it'd be easier for me just to talk about nice Christmassy things and not talk about divisive, kind of controversial things. Just say, you know, Christmas is a happy time, let's just be happy. But we have a warning. And we have a saviour. And so we need to make sure we are aligned with Jesus, that we have followed him, so that we can be with Simeon and and Anna and rejoice in the Messiah, so that we can be people like in a fire zone who now have a blacked-out paddock but a saved house. This Christmas, take refuge in Jesus that refuge is the greatest Christmas gift you will ever receive. Let me pray. A loving Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you did the tough things. You said the tough things. But the toughest thing of all was taking upon yourself the anger of your Father so that we might avoid it. We thank you for this greatest Christmas present of all and ask that we would share this gift with others. And we do desperately pray that they would unwrap the gift and enjoy it as we do. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen.